Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world, uh, on the internet, and across the state of Alaska, on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator, FM translator, just to be clear. Good morning and welcome to it. It is The Michael Dukes Show, Monday. Oh, it's Monday. Hey, uh, how you doing? Are you ready to, uh, you, you ready to go? You ready to, uh, dive into this and jump in with both feet and do all the things? Are you ready to adult for the week? <sighs> yeah, me too. All right. Uh, good morning and welcome to it. It is, uh, just another beautiful day and we are ready to get into all of the good stuff that happened over the weekend. Uh, we're going to do some, uh, we're going to do some headlines, weekend headlines, uh, from the, uh, you know, from the Friday, from Friday to Sunday, we get some stories and news that came out, things that were talked about and all that, that's going to be coming up. Here in hour one this morning, and then in hour two, we're going to be talking with State Senator Rob Myers, who is going to come in, and we're going to we're going to discuss the idea that um, you know more oil uh, exploration, more oil drilling, more oil pumping will. We'll make all this, uh, you know, we'll make all this happen. We'll uh, we'll make this, we'll save us, we'll save the state. That's what I was looking for. That's the phrase I was looking for. That if we just do that, it would save the state. And so um, I'm excited to see exactly where that's going and what exactly we need to do about it. So, um, you know, I'm... Rob's going to be joining us. We're going to talk over all that stuff here in uh, in just a little bit. Just, I was just, in fact, I was just looking for the, there it was, there it was. Just, just looking for the email uh, with the title, more oil as a fiscal solution or not. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the choice today. Is, is more oil going to be a fiscal certainty well, certainly not, but as a fiscal solution to our problems, because that's what they continue to try and look for. It seems like in the legislature is they continue to look for a way to continue the amount of spending that they have now or increase it without losing uh, without losing anything, uh, without losing anything else. So I'm uh, I'm interested to see what Rob has to say and what it means for us here. Uh, in the state of Alaska uh, over the uh, over over the course of the near future, uh, so we'll 
we'll see exactly what's going on and where it's where it's going from here. Um, <clears throat> the second, you know, we we talked earlier that uh, earlier in the year, I guess, and since election day, we've been talking about how it's become very obvious that one of the key points of this year's session is going to be uh, an increase to education in some way, shape, or form. Now, whether that's the increase to the BSA or some other kind of formulaic increase, or if it's going to be um, <clears throat> just, uh, you know, forward funding or, you know, what they're going to be doing. That that has seemed to be the uh, main factor and the one of the things that they've been talking about. But now we're seeing more and more uh, over the last week or so, um, we're seeing more articles that are focused primarily on the push to increase or to create, recreate, I guess, a defined benefits plan for public employees. Uh, there's already been a bill, of course, jo Andy Josephson's House Bill 22 has been put into the uh, legislature, although it has been referred to four separate committees, which typically means that they're, they're going to slow walk it um, to the uh, to the floor, if it gets to the floor at all, after going through all four committees. Um, <clears throat> but this is probably... This is probably more troubling, quite honestly, than the education bills, because this one has longer term, more far reaching effects than the uh, than the other ones. Uh, I'm a little concerned about this uh, because there just seems to be no memory for uh, it just seems to be no memory for what we went through back in 2006. There seems to be very little discussion on the overall cost of it. Uh, I mean, when we went from defined benefits to a defined <clears throat> contribution plan, which is being poo-pooed so much in so many different areas, just the idea of somehow how a defined contribution plan is just not a great retirement. I mean, it's just so bad. It's so bad because it's 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 uh, it's subject to the vagaries of the stock market and all these other things. When I mean, let's face it, most people out there who have a retirement plan, that's exactly what they have. They have a four hundred one k style retirement plan. The only people that can afford to have defined benefits programs, for the most part, I mean, the the, the only are government employees because nobody else can afford to pay for it. That's the problem. And they seem to have forgotten the whole, I mean, the the whole, you know, hey, it's, um, um, you know, it's been, uh, it, it, we, it's been years since we stopped the defined benefits program and we still have a $7 billion unfunded liability from the first time we did it. Seven billion. When we quit, we had almost a thirteen billion dollar unfunded liability. When we finally stopped adding people to the program and stopped doing that, and we've whittled it down over the course of it was it been fifteen years now, fourteen years, twenty six to things of four or six is yes, so fourteen years now 
almost 15 years. We've whittled it down from a 12, almost $13 billion unfunded liability down to a $7 billion liability. But now the answer is, well, let's just add more people to that. And I uh, am not I am not a happy man about the 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 idea of this. I mean, <clears throat> they keep going on and on about how they're having a hard time retaining um, retaining employees in the state of Alaska. There could be a plethora of reasons for that. Uh, I mean, wages could be a big deal. And wages are a one-time fix that don't indebt us into the future. Now, I'm not advocating for I'm not advocating for uh, uh, a, a wage increase, but it is one lever that you could pull if you're trying to retain employees. Um, although with the step increases, the merit-based increases, the COLA, I mean, they are keeping up pretty well with inflation overall. So I don't know if that's it, but <clears throat> it is an option, and it's a one-time option instead of a multi-year unknown, you know, contribution to this mystery money ball out there that you're going to have to pay for in the long run. Uh, but there are a bunch of reasons why people may not stay or remain. It could be work environment. It could be decision-making. It could be salary. It could be benefits. It could be a million things. But the idea... Yeah, I mean, and Andy Josephson is quoted in the ADN today. Well, this story is actually from yesterday. But he's quoted in the story of the ADN, and I think it really highlights some of the things that that they are thinking about when it comes to this. Um, Andy Josephson is uh, talking about um, the fact that his bill – is what they call a conservative, he's called it a conservative bill, uh, because it only <clears throat> it only offers it to first responders. Um, now, you and I all know, and in fact, some of the members of the House have pointed out, that that's where it might start, but then you would have an equitability issue between the first responders in the state and the rest of the state employees. And there would be a potential for them to say, if they've got it, we want it. Um, but <laughs> and, and, and Andy Josephson actually says, yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of what we wanted. He, he kind of he says, yep. He said Josephson acknowledged. That other public sectors, including education, face crisis and turnover that could be addressed with a new pension plan. And he hopes that a bill targeting public safety workers will ultimately lead to a plan that applies to other workers. And here's the money quote. If it leads to success and a culture of spreading the wealth, that's great. Spread. Spreading the wealth. As long as it's government wealth, right? I mean, that's the important part. We've got to spread that wealth for government. They've got to be, I mean, that's what it all comes down to. Spreading the wealth. And they just poo-poo the idea that somehow this whole plan could be more expensive or could end up creating the same kind of problem that we had back at the end of 2006 when we eventually quit what was happening uh, and went to a defined contribution plan. 
And that's that's problematic. I mean, just to say we're already facing uh, we're already facing deficit spending and and all this other kind of stuff. We're already up against that. And now you want to add the potential for more through this. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a problem. That's a problem, Johnny. It's not it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Jesse Keel has got a bill introduced this year, Senate Bill 11, that would apply to all workers. So you got Andy Josephson in the House that would apply only to first responders. Jesse Keel's got the bill that would apply to all workers and not just all state workers, but also to local and municipality workers, to government workers of all stripes. They would all be eligible, and they would be given the option to choose between a defined benefits pension plan and a defined contribution plan. The Under Keel's plan, new employees will have a brief window in which to decide whether to elect a defined contribution plan or a defined benefits plan. Existing employees who are currently in the defined contribution program will have a one-time window, a window in which they can switch to the newly defined benefits plan converting their accrued pension contributions to seniority in the plan. Skeptics of Keel's plan, according to the ADN, say it would lead to the same kind of unfunded liability that the state faces from the last time it offered defined benefits to public employees. Note that Iris, I think this is Iris Samuelson. This is Iris Samuelson. Notice that she doesn't mention that we still owe seven billion dollars in unfunded liabilities. But this is from the past program. That's what she says. She's not mentioning the fact that it is right we now, right now, we owe it. Skeptics of Keel's plan say it could lead to the same kind of unfunded liability the state faces from the last time it offered defined benefits to public employees. But Keel said that won't happen. That won't happen, arguing that the state could end up saving money to provide by providing better run retirement options. How's that again? How that's not going to happen? We're going to actually save money? I mean, that's not just That's not just the revenue neutral thing, right? That's what they were saying before, revenue neutral. No, no, no. We're going to save money. I, what? I mean, just, have you, have you lost your, have you, are you out of your mind? I mean, this is, look, there are, across the country, you can see it right now. People are looking for workers across the country. This is not, an. people are looking for workers in Anchorage, private sector people. This is not just a, government. And so what? Government should become the most attractive thing in the room? I mean, I've got some lakefront property in Arizona that I would like to talk to you about. Stay tuned for that. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Hello and good morning. Guten Morgen, meine Freund. Was ist los? What are you doing, my friends? What is happening in your neck of the woods? Ah. Um, question for those who are defined benefits or for defined benefits. Do you really want the state legislature to be in charge of your retirement? Because I sure don't. Well, yeah, but, 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 but Josephson said it was a conservative plan. I mean, this is, this is what's going on. I mean, uh. All right, let me go backwards here. Okay. Uh, everybody was everybody was arguing about who was first this morning. You know who was first this morning? Nobody on Facebook could see it because he said it on YouTube. Mikhail. Mikhail on YouTube at 5.59 this morning. Oh, you got to get up pretty early to stop Mikhail. For some reason... YouTube shows uh, when I when I set the show to start before it's even started to broadcast. And Mikhail, it's just another reason why you should go over and subscribe on YouTube. Right? And right? I mean, that's what I want. Subscribe on YouTube. Um, all right. I'm just scrolling through here. Not another Manic Monday. <laughs> oh, good morning. Good morning. Um... Too bad the state of Alaska is not an oil company. Um, let's see what's going on here. Getting, uh, getting, I'm getting messages over the electronic transom. The question that needs to be asked is this. Was HB 22 properly noticed to the public before it was introduced to the CRA last week? Uh, Josephson is trying to take advantage of the noob CRA. That's Community and Regional Affairs Committee chair. Well... If it wasn't properly noticed, somebody needs somebody needs to uh, to uh, get a spanking, a spanking, a spanking. Um, all right, a little concerned. Uh, let's see, they up unfunded liability. Uh, maybe some cool swag. Uh, so many factors why people are not returning to the work. Same jobs that they used to. Uh, the workforce is changing. COVID lockdown showed us a lot of us that we can work from home, don't need public schools, and have sh shifted focus to more important things like food security. I mean, yeah. I mean, COVID changed a lot in the marketplace. And again, this is not uniquely a Alaska government problem. I mean, there are huge problems across the entire country. With workforce right now. I mean, the the AEDC thing in Anchorage was talking about, you know, we just there's not enough people. There's not enough workers to do the work that's available. There's more jobs available than workers. Or I guess I should say willing workers. Um, 
spreading your PFD amongst all 22,000 state. But it's not just the 22,000 state workers, Kevin. It's state, municipal, and local workers. All the government employees, from the city dog catcher up to the borough, you know, whatever, to, I mean, it's not just state workers. Sure, it's 22,000 state employees plus all the municipal employees and everything else. It's probably 25, 26, 27,000 people, I imagine, by the time it's all said and done. Um. Did you hear a bunch of farmers said that their hens stopped laying? They switched food and started laying again. Oh, okay. I did. That's kind of a non sequitur, Sandy. Uh, maybe you could explain that to me, what you're talking about there. Because, yeah, I, I missed that. Uh, yeah, Kevin says there are many states and businesses who are facing an employee shortage. Alaska is not unique in the data. They're using to show how much money it takes to train firefighters, and AST is likely flawed or bear some in-depth investigation. You mean they you mean they may have misled you? Is that what you're saying? They may have misled you? Say it ain't so. So, yeah, I mean, as you read this, apparently he's all okay, uh, Andy Josephson, with spreading your PFD wealth amongst all the state employees. Kevin McCabe says spreading the PFD amongst all 22,000 state workers. But the problem is it would not be just the state workers, right? Because if Josephson gets his way... And he's admitted it. He's It's openly being admitted in this article. If he has his way, this will just be, this will be the first part of my evil plan. <laughs> That's just the first part. That really what he wants to do is he wants this to spread to other people. That's that's what he wants. He, say, he, he acknowledged that other public sectors, including education face a crisis in turnover that could be addressed with a new pension plan and that he hopes that a bill targeting public safety workers will ultimately lead to a plan that applies to other workers. If it leads to success and, and a culture of spreading the wealth, then great. So he admits two things in here. First of all, he admits that it's a bill that targets public safety workers because why? Because nobody wants to have said that they don't support firefighters and police, right? Nobody wants to have it said of them that they don't support first responders because they put their life on the line every day. And yet maybe they do. I mean, you know, they do. To a, but so do linemen. So do many people put their life on the line every day for a variety of occupations. You chose to be a first responder. You chose that. So don't keep throwing it back in my face that you chose to put your life on the line every day and say, now that's a reason why I need more. There's plenty of people out there that are work in dangerous occupations. Don't don't throw that at me. Just don't don't do that. I support you. 
but just don't do that. Seriously. But he acknowledged that this targeting, first of all, it targets public safety workers, which is hard to say no to. And then he acknowledged that he hopes the bill would lead to a plan that applies to others, R.E. Jesse Keel's plan. Which would not just be the 22,000 state employees. It would be all government it would be all government employees, state employees, borough employees, city employees, municipal employees. All of those would be covered by the. So we're not just talking about twenty-two thousand state employees. You know how many how many people work for the various state and or uh, uh, city and municipal governments around the state, the boroughs and the cities and the munis. What do we got? Another five, six thousand people probably that work around the state in the various communities. So you're not talking about 20, you're talking about 28,000 people that would be on this plan. But but he assures us, don't worry, this won't, it won't happen. We won't have another unfunded liability. Don't worry, we've got it all in hand. We've been thinking about this, just like our predecessors and there is no unintended consequences for our actions. Oh boy, oh boy, it's uh, it's got it's, you know, and I love the balance in this article. They've got Tom McKay is the only guy they quote in this whole article that is against it. Everybody else they quote. So of course they've got Josephson. And then they quote Tom McKay against, and then Jesse Keel four, and then Bert Stedman four, and then Jesse Bjorkman four, and then uh, Himshoot, uh, Rebecca Himshoot four. There's so much balance in the ADN these days. So much balance. Let's talk about unbalanced uh, for a second. Here's another story. I was kind of waiting for the shoe to drop on this one. Um, the. Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, Alaska news source, KTUU, has got the article up. Um, and I don't know what's going on down in uh, Homer. I don't know what's going on with you guys down in Homer. But, man, there's apparently something in the water. Uh, remember that attack uh, back in August, uh, August the 23rd, uh, where the boat was attempting to, well, I mean, it wasn't attempting to, I guess it was harassing the uh, float plane. Remember that over in uh, Halibut Cove? Um, the boat was zooming back and forth and, uh, you know, cutting right in front of the airplane. Well, interestingly enough, that did not go unnoticed. A Halibut Cove restaurant owner has been indicted on federal charges after the video went viral on social media showing the restaurant owner circling a float plane in a boat at dangerously close proximity. Court documents show that Marion Beck, owner of the Saltry Restaurant in Halibut Cove across Ketchumac Bay from Homer, was indicted by a federal grand jury on a charges of attempted destruction of aircraft and gross negligent operation of a vessel. She was indicted on the 19th. Both the troopers and the Coast Guard say they were investigating the incident that frightened float plane pilot and Alaska Ultimate Safaris owner Eric Lee. Lee said he was attempting to taxi out of the cove and take the seven passengers who were staying at the Still Point Lodge near the Saltry on a flight seeing trip. Now, that's the pretty much the entirety of that story. Uh, 
Suzanne Downing actually has a little bit more um, on this. Beck, again, owns the Saltry Restaurant in uh, Halibut Cove. Apparently, um, she uh, did not like what was happening there. Beck, who is the daughter of the late Senator uh, Clem Till- uh, Senator Clem Tillian and artist Diane Tillian, is a lifelong Alaskan who is a licensed maritime captain, maybe not for long, and owner of the Ketchumac Bay Ferry, the MV Danny J, which her father operated for decades as the private ferry to the cove. Born in Seldovia, she attended high school in Homer. Uh, an artist like her mother, Beck owns the Halibut Cove Experience Gallery, and she runs the Saltry Restaurant in Halibut Cove. Observers say she was annoyed with all the tourism activity in the cove, which is on an island largely owned and controlled by the Tillian family for generations. Agencies involved in the investigation included the Coast Guard, which submitted its findings and yada, yada, yada. Destruction, destruction of aircraft is a serious crime and can be subject to a fine as much as $10,000 in prison of not more than 20 years or both, although Beck's case is more about endangering the lives of seven peoples, uh, peoples? in what appeared to be a reckless disregard for human life. I don't, apparently there's just one of those instances where somebody lost their cool because how dare other people come out here and want to enjoy the scenic beauty of Alaska. I mean, it's a, you know, um, I mean, we've, we've seen the video of this, uh, and it is, it's pretty crazy. I mean, she's running a boat like directly in front of the float plane. I, I uh, when I saw this video, I'm like, somebody is unhinged. And then I learned about who was driving the boat, and I'm like, oh my, oh, oh my. Now I don't know. Somebody from Homer will have to tell me if that's the Danny J that's actually running in front of the plane or not, or if that's just some other boat, but. Yeah, she definitely was. Um, she's she's definitely got some explaining to do. I mean, there's definitely some things that need to be discussed about that. Uh, I I don't know what she was thinking. Did I mean? Did you think that you were going to run in front of an airplane like that and it was all going to be okay? That it was that nobody was going to notice, uh, or that nobody was going to? Uh, I mean, my God, it the uh, the. Don't do anything in public these days that you'll regret later because I guarantee you it will be end up on 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 uh, Facebook or YouTube or something, right? I mean, I can't I cannot believe the number of times I have seen uh, news footage of stuff happening, and the first thing I see is fifteen hands all holding up their phones with the cameras, and they're all videoing it from like fifteen different angles. I mean, please go help the woman that just got knocked down and mug and a mugger's trying to rip her purse away. But instead of going to help her, whip out your phone and take a video of that so that you can be Internet famous right before you you run away. I mean, I don't know how she thought that she was going to be okay with trying to take this boat and uh, and and do the zoomies around the aircraft. I I don't know. Maybe it's just. Maybe it's just ego. I am not sure. All right. Um, do I have enough time? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to get into my next story. So we're going to have to hold that one for the next segment. We do have Rob Myers coming up 
on uh, in hour two to talk about oil, uh, oil wealth, or is more oil the solution to Alaska's fiscal woes? Well, I don't know. What happens when you give a spendaholic a new credit card? What do you think is going to happen? That's a that's a that's foreshadowing for those of you who aren't sure. That's what we call foreshadowing. All right, uh, we're going to continue here in just a minute, and we will uh, continue discussions. Uh, I guess I didn't tell you that the phone lines were open because they are. If you feel like you want to sound off this morning or give your thoughts on the crazy lady or whatever. I'm open to that. 907-433-3150. This hour of the program being brought to you by your friends over there at Satellite West. From Tetlanica to the Tanana. From, from, I was going to do something. It's, it was going to be so great. From Cake to Kaktovic, uh, Satellite West has got you covered uh, for internet, for emails, for text messages, for phone calls. Go check them out. Satellite West at SatelliteWest.com. Proud sponsors of this hour of the Michael Duke Show. Let's continue on right after this. 907-433-3150 is the number. Call us now if you feel like it. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. I'm watching this video again. I was watching the video again this morning because the news source has got the... uh... They got the up close and personal video. Let me post that in the chat room here. And uh, it is, um, I mean, this this lady is like right up in his grill. Uh, I mean, right up it right right. Whoa, I didn't want to do that. Let me uh, back that out. Right up in his grill. I mean, like. Um, Right there, zooming back and forth. Um, it, it's, I mean, I, again, I don't know what she was thinking. What you I, did you think that you were going to? Did you did you think that you were going to get away with that? That that was going to be okay? Um, look look at how close this is. Look at how uh, look at where's where's my my little thing here? Look at this. Look at how close this is here. I mean, what, 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 why, why was this, why was this necessary? I can't read the name of the boat, but I don't know. So I don't know if it's the Danny, uh, whatever Danny J or not, but I I just was thinking, why, why was that? Okay. Why was that? Okay. All right. Um, Oh, oh, Mikhail says, woo, for being first. And Brian says, challenge accepted. Brian's going to stay up all night waiting for me to put that thing up in the morning. Uh, Okay. Uh, Rob said, oh, my numbers were way low. Rob says, state workers plus local workers, 40,000. 1,000. 
Oh, and that's the other thing that I forgot that they didn't mention in this article. Thank you, Kevin. Is that HB 22 has a 16-year retroactive provision. Does that mean that the municipalities have to match the worker to buy out for those years? Uh, oh. Um, ow. Uh, okay. 18 hours of rain in the Bering Coast and almost no snow and the ice has disappeared. I mean, it's been raining here in the South Central area. I mean, a bunch of our snow is gone. I mean, we had snow that was up near my head, and now it's down near my ankles. It's been very, very crazy. Um, all right. Um, pass a law that all municipalities have to have their own retirement paid in full and tax to pay increase before they could participate, says Willie. That's the problem is that many municipalities are still working on their unfunded liability because there, there is a contribution from the local communities as well to this stuff. Um, uh, let's see. Um, they, hey, Kevin, they can't have all the PFD money for the defined benefits. You have to save some for my increase in the base student allowance, the base student allocation. Uh, your lakefront property in Arizona disqualifies your PFD, says Jim. Yes, I'm sorry. What I meant to say was there's a bridge in Brooklyn that I'd like to sell you. Um, Joseph said during his bill presentation that we did away with the defined benefits because uh, a fiduciary error. Well, that was part of it. I mean, the fiduciary error was part of it. I mean, we had the uh, there there was some major problems that got us upside down, but look at what the history of defined benefits programs have done across the country. That's just, I mean, it's not to say just that's the one thing. Oof. Um, uh, that was not the Johnny Day was a skiff. Okay, I have not seen the, the Danny J, so I didn't even know what it was. It looked pretty small to be a skiff, so. Um water rage not road rage water rage uh it's not the first time she's done these things says sandy really this is this is that's not the first time she's done that okay i mean is it just because she's the daughter of clem tillian that she's been able to to do away with that or what her her excuse is i hate tourism question mark i don't know all right, let's go over to the phones here and see what uh, we got. One caller on hold. Let's get their name and where they're calling from. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, good morning, Willie Keppel out here on the coast of Barry. Okay, hold on, Willie. I'll be right back to you. You'll be first up in the queue. Don't go anywhere. We'll talk with Willie here in just a hot second. Um, uh, I'm still scrolling here. I'm still scrolling through all this stuff. Bigger than a skiff and closed cabin cruiser. She needs to go to prison. Danny J was in front of the plane leaving the cove. Oh, that was the Danny J. Okay, got it. Danny J is a tug. Okay. Uh, road, road rage. It was water rage. Water rage. Um, okay, we're jumping back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Here we go.
Okay, welcome back to the program. We are back. Uh, final segment here before we uh, run out the clock for this hour. Uh, Rob Myers is going to be joining us in hour two. We're going to be talking about is oil the answer or is it part of the problem? Uh, but before we go anywhere else, I did throw the phone lines open and I just I forgot to tell anybody until the last break. So uh, we got somebody on the phone. Willie Keppel out at Quinnahawk towards Bethel is uh, on the program listening to us via interwebs uh we'll see what uh we'll see what willie has to say this morning get his take on things good morning sir what's on your mind well good morning to you too Uh, i've been listening to the conversation on defined benefits and i'd like to take you back to sat on city council right after they got rid of this in bethel and their whole goal there was the city council goal, at least the liberal portion, was to just forget paying the state back. Now, I take a guess right now that there's probably still at least $5 million left that is owed to the state of Alaska that they just blow past every budget cycle. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's one thing that people don't understand is that the defined benefits program was not only a financial boondoggle for the state, but many of the municipalities were left holding the bag because they had to match that. And when they discovered that the unfunded liability had ballooned up to 12 or $13 billion, the state turned around and went back to the municipalities and said, oh, by the way, you owe all these back contributions to the retirement plan. Um, and it nearly bankrupted some of the communities to try and figure out how they were going to pay for these millions of dollars uh, that they had to pay for back uh, for back employee benefits. Well, I think it boiled down to the council decision that they weren't going to pay it back. They were going to wait till they could try emergency, 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 and have the state just go ahead and fill in that deficit for them. Yeah. And I I truly believe that's where they're at, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that there'll be many communities that will be asking questions like, what is going to be our contribution if they haven't finished paying it back? Can they defer until they have finished paying back the old stuff? I am trying to remember back in uh, to the assembly, the borough assembly in Fairbanks. I think I can't remember if they finally paid off all their liability or not, but it was a big chunk. I mean, it was millions of dollars, millions of dollars that they had to pay back into the retirement system once uh, it moved from defined benefits to defined contribution just for their back pay on that. It was a huge amount of money. Well, I'd also like to point out, you're right, you know, if you want to increase your state employees probably the primary one you can take a look at is when governor dunley came into office and took back two million dollars of dpso be sitting with um a last village council presidents that are in charge of dpso down here they couldn't fire anybody nobody but nobody would go to work into the law enforcement out here to go through but now they've increased the wages and they haven't left all the money sitting with ABCP. And we have people that are applying and they're filling the slots out here. And so 
if we got to up the wages a little bit. I think that's, that's a work in progress that's actually working in right. at least one department of law enforcement out here. Right. Well, Stedman is actually quoted in this article, which I find interesting. He's actually quoted in the article to say, look, there's more options than just increasing the uh, increasing the benefits. You could increase the salaries. Uh, and that's something that we talked about with Sarah Montalbano here earlier when she was talking about the teachers and wanting to, that they've had increases to their retirement, which is great 30 years from now. But what they what they really might want to do is look at increasing the wage because that's an immediate thing that helps them get through the day. So maybe I'm not opposed to at least looking at it and addressing it. But this idea that somehow uh, you can uh, just, you know, slap slap this gold plated uh uh, this gold-plated benefits and retirement plan out there and expect that it's not going to cost you any more money. And in fact, it's as Jesse Keel is quoted as saying, it's going to save you money with efficiencies, I think is, well, it's it's pretty pie in the sky, Willie. Well, it's very pie in the sky. And I take a look at what they have going with the teachers union out here. People don't want to come out here and go to work because this is the end of the world. There's no groceries, no cold beer, no place to go party. And they, they try to get the young people straight out of college. And it's a total nightmare for them to come to a village. They're not used to this. So now we've resorted to hiring from the Philippines, and we're completely maxed out on the amount on the LKSD, this is Lower Custom and on the Yukon district right up above us maxed out on the amount of Filipino teachers they can hire and they love it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, no, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I, I, I'm with you, Willie. I oh. agree. I think that that is definitely, you know, this is a, this is part of a larger problem when you're trying to get local, uh, you know, especially rural communities, very rural communities, trying to get people out there. There's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. You're going to have to look at it a piece at a time. Uh, and I don't think just throwing more money at the problem is going to solve it. No, not the way they're wanting to do it, that's for sure. And the worst part about it is, is they expect everybody that lives with a medium medium to lower income to go ahead and shoulder the burden of losing their PFDs, losing the ability to even be able to take their kids' um, PFDs, put them in the 529 plan, the state's plan for college. That all disappears when, you, when that PFD goes away. So your saving is wiped out for over the huge majority of Alaskans, you know, all in favor of taking care of the union employees and I have tons of friends. I hope the union employees don't all get mad at me because I do love a whole lot of state employees, city employees, but there's a line that you have to have a balancing line somewhere. And the, the left is way overboard. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you uh, on that, Willie. All right. Well, thank you for your call. I appreciate you calling in and be a part of it today. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. Good morning. All right. Uh, 907-433-3150. If you would like to sound off this morning, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, the other one, uh, the other story that I wanted to cover, I've got enough time if I do it quickly here, is uh, surprise, surprise, Kathy Giesel 
has changed her stripes yet again, yet again. Remember when Kathy Geisel was in the Senate? Remember when she ran for Senate and criticized Governor Bill Walker for taking your PFD? Remember when she stole her husband's wallet live on camera and said, this is just what happens when Governor Walker takes your PFD? Remember that? Remember those days? Well, back in those days, too, she was uh, pro-life. She proposed a bill in 2018, Senate Bill 124, which was known as the Born Alive Bill, which would uh, that said if they were performing abortions or doing anything else, if the border, if the baby uh, came out alive, they would be required to view that as a person in need and and save and you know an attempt to save the life uh, of the child. She was a pro, you know, kind of a pro life thing. And apparently she has decided not only to take the PFD, but she's decided that, no, she'd rather be okay with it. Currently, the Alaska Constitution has been interpreted by judges to mean that a child can be aborted all the way up until birth. There's no restrictions, no gestation cutoff time. Uh, Even in California, they they don't allow abortions after 24 weeks, except in the case of trying to save the mother's life. Um, Kathy Geisel fielded a bunch of questions with uh, the members of the Senate majority on uh, last Monday. And uh, one of the reporters asked the group about Governor Dunleavy's pro-life statements in the State of the State Address. Uh, According to Suzanne Downing, Senate President Gary Stevens kind of hemmed and hawed and walked through that all bills should have a hearing, even if they're not likely to move into one of the committees. And yeah. But Geisel came on board right after Gary Stevens was kind of hemming and hawing and said, Alaska does have constitutional protection for abortion. So I would suspect, although I don't know that the governor would be proposing a constitutional amendment that would put some restrictions on abortion services. And then she was asked if she would support the matter going to voters. And she said, I personally would not. But we'll see what happens with the Senate body. We'll see. I mean, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This was not would you pass it? This was, if you would support the matters going in front of the voters. I mean, the voters don't, the voters shouldn't have a say in this. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? That the voters shouldn't have a say? I'm a little bit confused here. What I mean, the voters shouldn't have a say, period. O-M-G. That's a little problematic, wouldn't you say? I mean, just another just another prime example of why Kathy Geisel definitely I mean, how did she how did she make it back? Well, I knew exactly how she made it back in there. Um she she made it back in there because of ranked choice voting. That's exactly how she made it back in there. Um, And would I trade Kathy Giesel for Mike Schauer, which would have been the choice because Schauer would have lost in a primary, right, to Doug Massey because of the name recognition and the redistricting. But uh, I don't I I, I just I just don't know. This is just it's it's unbelievable. Un um unbelievable. All right, we got more coming up. Uh, Rob Myers is going to be joining us in hour two. We're going to talk about oil 
uh, extraction and, you know, more oil. Would more oil and more money solve the problem? Is it a fiscal solution or not? We'll have those discussions with Rob Myers up next. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. David Boyle makes an interesting point. If Andy Josephson wants to bring back the defined benefits program, then consolidate all of the school district health insurance into the state's health insurance. And they, because because the school district in Anchorage pays $21,000 per teacher union member to the union for health insurance. Every, that's just health insurance. That's not retirement. That's health insurance. So when you hear about the teachers not making much money because they're only making seventy or eighty thousand bucks a year, tack on another twenty-one thousand for health insurance, and then retirement on top of that. Um, no amount of additional income will be the answer for Juno. Uh, until the mindset in general changes to the spending limit. All there would just spend more if added to their budget. Increased debt has never bothered any government entity at any level. Uh, Gary's not wrong here. Gary is not wrong. Uh, Brian says, through efficiencies, they're going to save money. <laughs> I throw a red flag. Yeah, I'm with you on, I'm with you on that. Um, the PFD won't be enough, says Jim. State income, sales, and property taxes are coming. It's a planned collapse. Well, I, I would think, I would like to think that it's more of the unintended consequences of it, but I mean, not, 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 not wrong. Political divide and conquer, says Chris on Twitch. You can get state employees to support a terrible idea if you make it in their best interests. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, all right. Um, some of the other school districts, says Mike Kronk, are over $25,000 per teacher for health care programs, for health care plans. What? What? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if you wanted to save some money, why aren't you putting, why do you have 52 separate, 53, 54 separate health plans? Why aren't you consolidating them all and leveraging that power? That's my question. I mean, I'm just asking for a friend. I see Rob Myers is in the chat room, but I don't see his smiling face. I just see that he's popped up in the uh, green room here um, with no camera. Uh, good morning, Rob. If you can hear me, I'm looking at you, kid. Here's looking at you, kid. Uh, I could see you in there. Um, but I don't see your camera yet. Um, 
So if you want to uh, pop on pop on in, feel free to do so. Um, let me mute that right there so I can't hear his uh, feedback, and then we'll uh, we'll do that. How about that? We'll just do it right there until Rob comes on board. He's uh, apparently working working through some technical issues. I guess. <laughs> Uh, we'll get it. We'll get it going on. Um, hey, look at that. There we go. Rob Myers. See, look at that. What do they do? My God, it literally is a closet. It literally <laughs> is a closet. I mean, can you reach back and touch the back wall? I mean, your my studio seems to be bigger than your office at this point. Um, Good it job. was uh, it was real fun on Thursday when we had like six people from the Chamber of Commerce in here. Yeah, I bet they were all standing on top of each other. Everybody was doing donkey style with people on their shoulders just to make it all work. Um, <clears throat> how you doing this morning, my friend? How's uh, how's life treating you? Oh, doing okay. Um, sorry about the little technical issue there. Um, I apparently, uh oh, apparently this only works with. Uh, one of my cameras and I'm, Oh, wait, which one? Nope. Still this one. Okay. I don't know what the hell's going on. This, uh, this system is, is going it, wacky. Am I freaking? I've got another camera I... that works, works a whole lot better. And, but it's only working off of this camera with your thing. I don't know. What's okay. Going. I'm sorry. Am I freaking you out? It's because, better. because I'm swapping you around all over the place. Is that, is that messing you up? I'm just saying, I'm just here to know all of my screens. Died all at once. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, all right, Rob. Well, today we're going to talk about more oil as a fiscal solution or not. Uh, I likened it again to let's give the compulsive shopper another credit card uh, just uh, because you have not fixed the uh, uh, you have not fixed the underlying habit force, which is the spending habit. Right. I mean, that's the big problem. So. We're going to, but we're going to, that's a short, yeah, now talk to you later. Yeah, that was it. Too long. Uh, Don't read. Would you, would you give a meth addict more meth? I mean, that's the, you know, that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the, the too long. Don't read for the whole thing. Right. Um, but we're going to, we're going to break it down. We're going to break it down here and talk with Rob about that. Uh, all right, my friend. So hold the line for just a second. I'm going to pull you back into the, uh, pull you back into the green room while you do your research and get everything ready. Uh, and then I'm going to tell the folks who are listening on the interwebs, please, there are 63 people who are watching this program right this second between YouTube and Twitch and Facebook. If all of you could go over to YouTube for me and just like uh, the page, like or subscribe, ring the bell, do all that kind of stuff, I would, I would love that if you could do that. That would be fantastic. I need. I need a few more people to help me out. I need a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Come help hook a brother up. All right. Here we go. Hour two of the Michael Duke show is up next right now. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. 
Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only stream, the podcast, and uh, links to our social media sites, including YouTube, where I only need 599 more subscribers. Only 599 more. So if you're out there listening in Radioland and you're ever on YouTube, look me up. Hit subscribe. Ring the bell. I need 599 more. To, 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 it's oh, it's going to happen one day. One day I'm going to have the 1,000 YouTube subscribers that I'm looking for. Um, anyway, uh, you can find links to that and, of course, to the uh, – I said the podcast, but that's available on CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and, of course, my favorite platform, Spotify. Okay, first of all, this hour of the program being brought to you by your friends over there at Satellite West, SatelliteWest.com. Thank you for sponsoring this hour of the program. And we are ready to jump into it. We've got our guest, Rob Myers, who is now sitting in the wings, ready to come on board and join us. Let's get into this and talk with him about what is going on. And uh, and we're going to talk about today's uh, today's topic, which is more oil. As a fiscal solution or not? Question mark. Question mark. That's a big question mark. Uh, Rob Myers joins us this morning uh, on the program. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I am doing well so far, Michael, at least as best as can be expected on a Monday morning. Yeah, I just had to laugh because when Rob came on the video, it uh, is his my studio is larger than his office. Apparently, it looks like uh, in there. Boy, they really don't like you guys. I mean, the three of you are like in what is that like an eight by eight room? I mean, you're you're. <clears throat> can you even get a desk in there, or do you have a kitty desk? That's what, that's my question. Uh, I know, I know. You're the computer's sitting on my desk right here. I can reach out and touch the window on this side. I can almost touch the door on this side. Just right. You know, you can, yeah, you can see the back wall behind me there. So my eh, God. Is they, what it is. They love you. Oh, they love you so much. Um, all right. I mean, when we said broom closet, we really, really meant that. Um, all right. Uh, so, Rob, today's topic is, of course, we were just talking about the possibility for more oil because that seems to be, you know, it was the old bumper sticker, right? Please give us another Prudhoe Bay. We promise not to piss this one away. That was the bumper sticker for many years uh, because we had. But but the, the problem is, I don't know if that's really true or not. So let's talk about this. It, you know, let's talk about the uh, the idea that somehow we could uh, we could bring in more oil or should we be fo- focusing on the non oil economy or carbon credits or what? Hit me. Hit me with the hit me with your thoughts on this. Yeah, so the last time I was on with, uh, was about three weeks ago, I think. Um, there was somebody in the chat room uh, mentioned that, that you know, 
why focus on the not oil economy? Um, because we, we have oil. That's what we've been doing for 40 odd years. You know, uh, why, why look for something different? Because I had made a comment about, well, we need to expand our economy and look at what we can do in the non-oil portion of the of the private sector. And, you know, that brought up something that I've heard from a lot of Republicans over the last six, eight years, which is you want to fix this problem that we're having down here in Juneau. Well, all you need is more oil in the pipeline. And, you know, I mean, from a jobs and an economic perspective, um, I think that, you know, more oil in the pipeline is a good thing. I mean, come on, that's that's where I make my living outside of this job. but it doesn't it doesn't address our problem and see the democrats have a similar version of it you know we're going to fit juno will fix its fiscal situation as long as we up our oil taxes and we go back to uh go back to aces instead of sb21 or you know something along these lines that's why we had the the oil tax initiative uh in 2020. um and then there's the new version which is now we found a new revenue source uh which is carbon credits so if we enact the carbon credits um then you know, that'll be, everything will be hunky-dory. We, we don't have to make any major cuts. Um, we don't have to have any new taxes and we get more revenue. We take the pressure off of the PFD and we'll be sitting in hog heaven for a while. And I, I don't think that that's going to be, uh, going to be the solution here. It's, it's really only going to be a short term fix. It takes the pressure off. So we don't have to pull money out of savings, but as we have already seen this year, um, and this, and then last year as well, you give the state more money, it turns around and it spends it again. And that's what we've seen for decades is as soon as the oil prices or the oil production or both or neither go up, then, and, and the state starts pulling in more money, then the state turns around and starts spending it all. And it goes back to a lot of what I was talking about the last time we spoke, that the cost of government is hidden from the average Alaskan so your average alaskan has a reason to call juno and say hey how do i get my piece of that pie rather than calling juno and saying please stop spending and we're back in this same situation commodity prices are still volatile you know oil goes up and down like crazy as we've seen over this last year and that's not that's not changing it's just it's the nature of the business um more oil revenue is just going to mean higher budgets we're going to have a repeat of the early 80s repeat of the early 2010s, repeat of last year, you know, pick one. Um, And what that means is that in the long run, we know that oil will drop again in price and we're going to be left with an even bigger hole in our budget than we started with. The PFD will be back in danger if it's not already gone by that point. And we're going to get another, sorry about that. We're going to get another tax on top of it. Um, because at that point we're going to have no option. You know, we're, we're in a situation where in, in my mind, taxes are effectively inevitable here. And, you know, uh, it, it just, it just goes back to, to keeping the old paradigm going of let's take the oil money, find ways to spend it. And that's, and that's how our government, uh, and how our economy works up here is, It's oil and government and everything else gets left by the wayside. Well, I'm reminded, of course, of Parkinson's principle. Parkinson's principle basically states that uh, work expands to fill the available time for its completion, right? That's the Parkinson's. And there's a corollary, and I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's basically the same thing, that basically – you know, government spending expands to fill up all available revenues. That's there's like there's no there's zero savings. 
there's zero, you know, we're going to, we're going to put money away that hardly ever happens. Um, and so any new revenues, if we're waiting on the next boom to fix our fiscal woes, it's, it's not going to help because all we're going to do is when that next pot of money comes in, they'll be like, oh yeah, great. I need that. Let me, let me, let me grab some of that. It's no, I likened it to the, uh, to the, the teenager or to the, the shopaholic who basically says, oh, and you give them a new credit card and they're like, oh, but be really great. You know, be really responsible with this one. They can't be. You have not fixed the underlying problem. The underlying problem is we have a, this is not a revenue issue. I've said this for years. This is not a revenue issue. This is a spending issue. Now they framed it as a revenue issue and they keep framing it as a revenue issue. Hopefully if they keep repeating the lie often enough, it will take hold and that's how they're treating it. But bottom line is this is a spending issue. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's, it's always been a spending issue and we can have short-term revenue problems, but that all that means is that their revenue no longer meets where they wanted to spend. Um, and, you know, one, you know, as we've discovered in, in this state, it's really easy to add revenue to add spending and it's really hard to cut spending. Right. And, you know, that's, that's normal for government and that's why you try to keep it from growing in the first place. Um, you know, and that's, you know, but uh, if, if all we're going to do is go back to the same pattern that we've been in, uh, you know, it's I, you liken it to the, the teenager with the credit card. I, I liken it to trying to cure your hangover by, you know, taking a couple of beers. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Does it fix it in the short term? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's going to leave you worse off in the long run, though. Yeah. And, my, uh, you know, my we, don't, we don't get off that train, then we're, we're toast. My less attractive comparison was here's a meth addict. Let's hand him some more meth and see what happens. I mean, that's I mean, that's exactly where we're at. And this. This goes back to what you were talking about the last time you were on, um, which uh-huh. is this, which this idea of disconnecting the public economy, the public budget from the private economy, from the actual overall economic engine of private industry in the state. Uh, when, when basically, when government is its own siloed thing over here with a permanent fund that just spins off money, regardless of what the actual private sector is doing and everything else. This is where that danger actually increases. Right. No, absolutely. Um, I had uh, some guys from the Chamber of Commerce in here last week um, and we were we were chatting and, you know, the Chamber of Commerce's big push right now is uh, for a spending cap. And I'm all in favor of a spending cap. I introduced one. I introduced one last year. Um, I, I think it's it's a part of the solution, but I don't think it's going to fix it uh, by itself in the long run, because ultimately, it it doesn't get rid of that in uh, of that uh, incentive to spend. All it does is it puts a legal barrier in the way, which is in my mind is kind of going to be a speed bump, not a not a wall. Right. And they'll they'll find ways around it, or potentially even possibly you know start repealing it. And that's assuming you're lucky enough to pass it to begin with. And what I was trying to tell these guys is, I said, look, if the government can start pulling. Um, can can start you know funding all of its its spending off of the uh, permanent fund off of Wall Street like that, they don't need the private sector anymore. And then you guys, meaning the business community, can get regulated out of existence, right. and the state doesn't have to care. Right. And there were there were some wide eyes in the room when I said that. Well, I mean that's the fact. I mean, look, we have seen literally seen 
the legislature in the past pass a spending limit. Uh, this happened in the Senate back in, uh, this is like 12 years ago, something like that. They passed a spending limit in the Senate at the beginning of the session, and then uh-huh. they busted the spending limit by the end of the session. They'd already, I mean, because it's statutory, because it means nothing, right? I mean, the statutory uh-huh. PFD means nothing. If you want a spending limit that's actually going to, now, it may not curtail the appetite for spending, but it is a bona fide, bulletproof, legal method to prevent the spending, then you need a constitutional spending cap that, again, doesn't have all the workarounds in it and the and the exemptions and the exceptions and everything else. You need a spending cap that says, here's what your last five years of revenue have been. This is the average of that. That's your next, you know, that that's how you have to figure it each year going forward. Will there be an increase? Yes, eventually there will be an increase overall, over the long haul. Uh, and I'm sure somebody could probably, Donna Ardwin or somebody in the chat room is much smarter at figuring out a better spending cap than what I just laid out. But, I mean, that would be a hell of a good start. Here's your five previous years of revenue. Here's the five-year average. That's what you have to target for this next year. Um, and because you'll have highs and lows in there, right? Highs and lows on your revenue. We have to monitor what we take in to control what we spend. Not just, oh, look, there's a big pot of money. Let's spend some, which is what they've been doing right now. Right. You know, and what I'm looking at is, is uh, you know, I'm looking at places like Colorado, which put in a spending cap in 1992. And I don't know exactly what happened down there, but in 2006, they repealed portions of it. Um, you know, it, and that was a constitutional provision that required that extra oomph to, to get that passed. And, you know, we're we're in trouble if, if that's what we're going to to depend on. You know, a spending cap is a great way to hold things in when you've got a couple of years of a boom, uh, you know, to keep you from going over that limit and doing something you shouldn't. But in a sustained long term uh, solution where, you know, it, the stock market keeps going up and up. Right. If we don't uh, if, if we don't find a way to rein that in. The, the, the initiative to, to spend it. Well, Rob Myers is our guest, uh, state senator from uh, the North Pole area. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Come on out and visit us on Facebook or YouTube, will you? We'll be back with more right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Rob Myers is our guest in the chat room right now. We are continuing. Oh boy, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about some of these. Uh, we're gonna talk about some of these other issues, but I, you know, I don't think people, Rob. I think the most important thing that you've brought forward into the light of day recently was this idea that the disconnect from the private economy is so that's such a huge deal that is such a like you said you were just having this conversation with the chamber of commerce people and they had never considered it probably some of them were like yeah let's just get the pfd just get the permanent fund to 100 100 billion dollars and we'll just be able to spin off government with no cost to us and that'll be fine uh, but I think they never thought about the unintended consequences of that action. 
No, I, actually, you know, I think you're you're 100 right that nobody has, you know, that that's one of the biggest uh, pet peeves that I've had after watching the legislature for the last six eight years now is that we're going down this path of, you know, not necessarily intentionally, but we're going down this path of the permanent fund is going to become our largest revenue source and our and potentially, you know, almost our entire revenue source uh, at some point. And we haven't sat down to think about, okay, what does that do to things outside of the government? Um, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, what, one thing economists talk about is that your tax policy, your revenue policy influences behavior. And we talk about that in the one sense of saying, oh, well, if you have an income tax that reduces the incentive to work and things like that, that makes total 100% sense. I'm not arguing that. But what we haven't talked about is we've said, well, what does that do on the flip side? What does that do to to the behavior inside of government as well? And you know what I what I come down to is you care about where your money comes from, regardless of how much you can affect it. You care about where your money comes from. Wherever you happen to work, you pay attention to your job because that's your livelihood. And the state is going to pay attention to where its money comes from uh, this year. We are looking at having the uh, permanent fund, the draw from the permanent fund, approximately equal to what we make uh, in oil revenues. Um, this year, I mean the the, the FY twenty four, the budget we're currently working on. The following year, we're looking at oil revenues dropping, the permanent fund continuing to increase. So the draw is going to be something closer to sixty percent, uh, if if you call it sixty forty between. Uh, permanent fund and oil revenues, and then you got you got a little bit extra on the outside too, with your gas tax and the cigarette tax and stuff like that. But um, you know, when you start tilting that balance, that that really starts screwing things up, and nobody's talking about it, nobody's thought about it really. And you know, we need to be thinking, hey, how's this look 10, 20 years down the line? Right. Well, I mean, again, the you know, it's the law of unintended consequences, right? Here's what you think. Oh, it sounds good. It sounds pie. It, it sounds pie in the sky. It sounds good to think, oh, if we only had a hundred billion dollars, then we wouldn't have to worry about. We wouldn't have these fights every year. We wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have that. You also disincentivize government to protect and provide for and to streamline and it make efficient. The private economy, you know, the parts of it that they are touching. And let's face it, the government is touching almost every part of the private economy right now. If they have no incentive to protect it, to make it run better, to make it run more efficiently, to get out of the way and 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 do that kind of stuff, then you're going to have a business environment in the state of Alaska that is the worst in the nation. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, if you take a look at, at uh, I think it's U.S. News and World Report and a couple of others of these, you know, more economic uh, minded publications, they like to rank the states by their business climate. And even back in, let's say 2012, when we were rolling in the dough, we were middle of the pack at best. Yeah. And I think we've been at the bottom in their rankings for six out of the last seven years, something like that. You know, yeah. we, we got a lot of issues to fix here. And if all we do is focus on oil, focus on how the state can get, uh, get more money, how the state can fix its fiscal situation, uh, we're, we're missing the bigger picture. Well, and again, the one thing that they never mention in fixing the fiscal picture is maybe you should stop spending so much, right? Maybe you should stop spending quite. I mean, all they'll look at everything else in the room 
But don't look at that. No, no, don't look at that. Don't don't look at that yeah. option at all. It's crazy. Rob Myers is our guest, The Michael Duke Show. We're getting ready to jump back into it. Here we go. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. All right, Rob Myers is our guest, senator for all of the interior, <laughs> for all of Alaska. He's a senator not up, not yeah, from uh, North Pole, uh, and we're talking about uh, <clears throat> we're talking about oil as a fiscal solution, um, and that's uh, that's a problem. Uh, basically, Rob, the argument is more oil revenue would mean. They're going to spend more, higher budgets, which would be a repeat of what we've seen. Uh, remember in the early teens, that was a time we were able to put all that money away because we ha- they had so much of it, they literally could not spend it all. And so they, uh-huh. were, they were putting it in. We finally, ma- we finally fulfilled our mandate to the Constitutional Budget Reserve, $10 billion. And, uh, you know, that, so that was money was in there and everything else. But the problem is, is that the higher we go, the further the fall is going to be, meaning the next time things drop out of the bottom, oh, it's going to be, <clears throat> it's going to be like journey to the center of the earth, right? I mean, effectively, yeah, you know, uh, you know, we're already going down this path of, of taking the PFD. Um, you know, we've already broken that wall. And so, you know, the next time that we fall off a fiscal cliff, what's left, you know, there's, there's going to be a tax of some kind, you know, I don't know whether that would mean a tax on the oil companies or a broad-based tax, or maybe both, you know, going to depend on who's in office at that point. Um, you know, and, you know, one thing we, you know, we talk about as, as a way to fix all this is, well, we, we, we get a spending cap. And I was having a conversation over the weekend uh, with somebody about spending caps. And, uh, you know, I laid out this scenario. I said, all right, so let's say we're 10, 12 years down the line. Uh, we're not even talking about oil. We, I'm just saying, well, let's say we're 10, 12 years down the line. We've got this spending cap in place and the stock market has continued to grow. And so our permanent fund has continued to grow. And the end result is that, you know, we're that POMV is spinning off six, seven, eight billion dollars a year um, and funding the state. But the problem is that our state's economy is in the toilet because, again, the state doesn't care. Um, on, about what happens in the economy because that's not where it gets his money. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a huge push in the legislature and in the public to either circumvent the cap or to repeal it. You know, And we've seen for the last 40 odd years, the legislature can get real creative in getting around even constitutional limits uh, to its spending. You know, the, the big one, of course, is the dedicated versus de- designated funds. Uh, but you know we've we've seen a few others as well where can we get around this? Oh yeah, let's let's find some let's find some real creative <laughs> ways to to get around it. And if we don't fix the incentive to spend, then that's what's going to happen: is your spending cap will either get circumvented or repealed. It doesn't mean anything in the long run. Right now, you've just sent me a chart uh, talking about uh, when we were talking about the bottom dropping out and what does it mean for us. Um, so explain to us what this, uh, what this chart means here. I'm going to throw this up on the screen, but explain to us what this chart means here for Alaskans. 
So, you know, going back to people saying, well, we can fix our government, we can fix our economy if we just drill for more oil. And I said, well, you know, what's the, what's the limit to that? You know, because we had this huge boom in oil production uh, start back in the late 2000s, early 2010s with the fracking revolution. So what did that do for us? And what I sent you that chart is to show you the difference between Alaska and Texas. Um, you know, I, initially we were the two largest oil producing states in the country and said, well, what what happened with oil production between the two of them? And, you know, from the late 80s until about 2006 or so, we kind of, you know, kind of ran in lockstep together. And then about 2006, give or take, the fracking boom started to take off down in the lower 48. And Alaska's production continued to drop. We've dropped about a third of our production since then. And uh, so many places down in the States have just zoomed up. So, you know, 2006, Texas was just slightly ahead of Alaska. And with the chart that you've got right there, Texas's production is 12 times Alaska's current production. And keep in mind that I didn't put them on the chart just because it would have just made it too busy. But um, you've got four other states in between us and them now. You've got North Dakota, uh, Colorado, New Mexico, and even California is producing more oil than Alaska. So am I in favor of putting more oil in the pipeline? Absolutely. Right. But I also have to recognize that there is a limit to what that to to how much they're willing to invest. The, the oil companies are willing to invest in Alaska to make that happen. And some of it's some things that we can control, like our, our tax policy. And some of it's some things we can't control, like our weather and our geology. Um, and, you know, we, we just we just have to recognize that. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest, <clears throat> Senator from North Pole. Uh, you know, Rob, again, looking at this every time as if somehow the the next the 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 next big oil boom is going to be the thing that saves us. What about diversity? I mean, because again, we we can't just keep count as you just pointed out, it's 50 50 right now between the the PF draw and the and the oil revenues next year it's 60 40 maybe it's 70 30 the next year the year after that i mean what what eventually happens i mean at that point that means that what we have coming in from the permanent fund is again going to be the lion's share of it and like i said and like you've pointed out it's the disconnect between that so why aren't we talking more and more about uh you know some kind of diversifying of the revenue you know, I, so far, the only significant uh, revenue diversity that I've that I've really heard about is the, the governor's carbon tax or the uh, carbon credit uh, concept. Um, in principle, it's sound. I don't think it's going to get the numbers that he's talking about, at least not right away. Um, but even if we even if we go down that road um, again, if we don't fix our underlying situation first, um, we're, we're still going to be in a world of hurt because, you know, the stock market can still drop um, this carbon credit thing. You know, hey, the, who knows? The market could dry up for it. We don't know yet. It's such a, a new thing that, that we don't know how it all works. And of course, oil revenues can still drop as well. Um, so even if you go from a two legged stool to a three legged stool, is that better? Eh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't fix your underlying problem of your basing. <laughs> your uh, you're, you're basing your 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 um, your state spending and your state revenue on, uh, you know, some very volatile sources. Um, and, you know, and then again, you're 
in two out of the three of those, you're basing your state revenue on something that's coming from outside of the state. And so, again, that disconnect between the private and public economies uh, still exists. So the underlying factor here is that even if we diversify the economy outside of oil, which I mean, I, I think that you would agree and I would agree, I think most people would agree is a good thing uh, to at least start to look at it. The problem is, of course, is that the underlying problem is still the habit force of spending, right? It's still the appetite for spend. So regardless of what else happens, no matter how many billions of dollars you throw at it, the problem is, is the Parkinson principle of money still, they are still spending every dollar that comes into the room. That has to stop. And of course, of all that we were just talking about this during the commercial break, that anytime you start talking to legislators about, you know, how do we fix our, our fiscal issues here in the state of Alaska? How do we fix it? The one thing that's never brought up is maybe we should stop spending so much. Right. I mean, they just they don't want to look at it. They got blinders on. They're like, I'm sorry. I can't la 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 la. I can't hear you. Uh, because <clears throat> that's impossible. Impossible. That's what I keep hearing about, you know, the 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 spending is that it just, you just can't pull it back. Um, and if that's the attitude, I, I don't know where we go from here. Right. I mean, you, you got a few legislators down here that are, are saying things like that, you know, people like me or Ben Carpenter or a, a few others. But, you know, we're in the we're in the minority. Uh, we, we know this. Um, it's been that way for a while. And what I, you know, even when we do start cutting spending or talk about cuts, even, you know, we all start getting the angry emails from back home about, hey, you can't possibly cut X because that's going to hurt me. And we have, you know, going back to what we talked about last time, we have too many places and too many people that their livelihoods in some way, shape or form depend on state government. And right. that's why we that's why we can't cut our spending down in, until we we change that um, and, and fix that disconnect between spending and revenue and and alter that incentive to spend then you know we're gonna we're all we're doing is is you know given the given the uh, the alcoholic a shot of tequila if we find another revenue source right well and that's the that's the that's the common problem here is that they're going to spend everything they can if we start talking about cuts it's a not in my backyard situation nobody everybody has to realize that you know everybody's got to feel the pain on this everybody's got to feel the pain and as you point out Alaska's in a very unique position we are a welfare state and i'm not just talking about welfare in the traditional form of welfare which i mean we've got one third of the population right now on medicaid that that pretty much says it. But on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the government welfare, the corporate welfare, the corporate cronyism. You've got every all these businesses that have built their entire business model on government contracts and spending. And if they don't get their money, well, their businesses will go bust. Well, I'm sorry, you shouldn't have built your business model around government spending if that was the case. But we have this very uniquely Alaskan situation where all well, I'm sure that there are many states that have companies that are that are beholden. But here in Alaska specifically, because we're disconnected from the cost of government, they don't care as long as they get their kick, as long as they get that next road contract or the next telecom contract or whatever it is, they uh -huh. just don't care. Right. Yeah. There's there's no pushback. And, uh, you know, it just it just com completely unbalances everything. I had a conversation with a colleague last year and I said, you know, how do you feel about a, a, a company that 
that has, you know, say 80% of his business model coming off of, of state government. And he goes, oh, well, that's great because that means that, that we can outsource it to companies instead of having government itself grow. And I'm thinking to myself, you, you realize what that means though, is that you are setting up intentionally setting up somebody to come lobby you. Right. And, you know, it's, and that's, that's a fundamental disconnect and a fundamental screw up. You know, it's really easy for us as Republicans to say, well, we've got a problem with, with, you know, public employees unions coming to lobby us over pension plans, as you were talking about earlier, or something, you know, increased state spending in some way or another, but we don't turn around and realize, oh, we have this, if we set up our government and we set up our economy so that a lot of businesses make their living the same way, we're setting up the same problem. And we've, we've become blind to that. Right. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think we have, we are disconnected in so many ways, uh, but specifically being disconnected from the size and scope of our government because they're drawing monies from outside the economy uh, is, I think, one of the biggest problems that we are going to have to overcome uh, if we can even acknowledge that it's a problem. Like you said, most people don't even understand it. When you explain it to them, their eyes get wide. That's because they've never considered. I had never considered that until you brought it up to me uh, here, uh, you know, a couple months ago. And we, we covered it a few weeks ago here on the program. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're going to take one final break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to him about solutions, solutions, potential solutions. I'm sure nobody's going to want to hear this, but, you know. Oh, and Brian mentions in the chat room, not only state government, we are federal government junkies. It's an ugly codependency. Ugly codependency. Yep. Rugged, independent individuals. Hardly. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be in Alaska, right? Rugged individuals. No, we're we're down on the floor on our backs with the government teat in our mouth. Just try to get as much as we can. That's what's happening. That was kind of an ugly picture, wasn't it? But it was supposed to be. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. That was uh, a lovely picture to give everybody while they're eating their Wheaties there, Michael. I'm just trying to paint a picture. I am a word <laughs> I am a wordsmith. Let me just we're just on the we're just on our backs, you know, underneath the sow, just just doing our thing because, you know, we've got to get it while it's good, baby. Get it while it's good. Uh, but that's where we are. Uh, I mean, and and literally when you have to go to government for every you have to beg permission to do everything. Eskimo Libertarian says, think about how much we could save, too, if we break away from the barrier of entry and the cost of compliance. Regulatories, you know, uh, uh, you know, occupational licensing, all these things we've got to go to the government for. And if they have no connection to that economy, if they don't care whether or not your nail salon makes it. And so they don't really care about the barriers of how, you know, how how hard it is to get your occupational licensing or the regulatory hurdles to make sure you got 12 sinks instead of 10 or whatever it is. They don't care because they're not making money off you. They're making money off everything else. They're just there to grow the bureaucracy to justify what they're doing so that they can then ask for more money the next the next budget cycle. I mean, that it's it's a self-licking ice cream cone from hell. 
is what it is. Right. Well, I mean, and think about the occupational licensing one that you brought up. You know, it's how, you know, at some point, you know, if we don't care whether or not people get jobs, what's the push on the other side for the licensing? Well, that's going to just going to continue because that pushes. Well, it's a safety issue. We have to look out for our citizens. And, you know, that's going to continue unless there's a pushback on the other side of it. Um, you know, there is finally a pushback in a couple of these things. So, for example, back in December, I was having a conversation with the hospital and they were talking about um, something you may have, have heard about uh, off and on the last couple of years is this uh, multi-state nurse licensure compact. And they said, look, right. some of these other states, as long as you've got your RN and, you know, your everything's up to snuff, you can get your license in about three days because that's how long it takes them to do the background check. In Alaska, it takes about three months. And, you know... You know, yet we have a nurse. Yet, yet we have a nursing shortage. Yeah, I mean, we have a shortage. Right, right. We have a shortage of teachers. Same kind of thing for teachers. We've got the shortage for all this stuff, and they've been licensed everywhere else. But all of a sudden, they come here, and it's like, well, no. Let me think about this for a minute. I'm not sure that you are qualified to help us here in the state of Alaska. Right. Exactly. And it's you know the argument has always been, well, do you want a safe nurse or do you want an unsafe nurse? Well. At this point, we're getting to the to a point where it's going really going to be a question of do you want a nurse or do you want to have no nurse if we don't if we don't fix our occupational licensing thing? Yeah, I mean, occupational occupational licensing is a, it's been a pet peeve of mine for years. I mean, why? You know, I want to cut your hair. Well, you've got to do this 12 week course and the whole thing and the deal and the other thing. I just want to cut your hair. I mean, you know, but it, 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 uh -huh. it's insane. And especially, again, what kills me is people coming from outside that have to go through the whole hullabaloo all over again. Somebody's been being a nurse for 15 years or cutting hair or being a teacher or whatever. And they're like, no, <clears throat> your standards aren't good enough for us. So what we need is we need you to fill out this 400 page form and wait six months and we'll decide whether or not you're worthy or not to do business in the state of Alaska. Um, I mean, government is in the way. That's the problem. I mean, government is in the way at almost every level. And if we continue to allow this disconnect between the public and the private economy, it's only going to get worse. It's only uh -huh. going. We will be we will be solidly solidified in that lowest business environment category for the remainder of time. Because why should a bureaucrat care? whether or not your business fails or succeeds or why you have a job or not, or whether you're employing people or not, because his paycheck sure as hell doesn't depend on the taxes from the public, from the uh, private economy funding his position. He's getting his lucre from somewhere else. So he just don't give a crap. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent accurate. You care about where your money comes from. If your money don't come from it, eh, no skin off your back. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't matter to me. You lose your job, your business, your house. Don't matter to me. You move out of state. Doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to be here. You're just doing my yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. Another one we can talk about is going back to the oil. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody who, who knows a little bit more about this stuff than I do last year. And he said, you know, uh, we were talking about Texas and, and the difference between us and them. If you go to Texas, you want to drill for oil from the time you decide you want to drill to the time you get oil out of the ground is about 30 days. You go to North Dakota, it's about 60 days. Right. In Alaska, it's about two to five years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Tell me where they're going to invest. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this. I mean, people are screaming about, well, we're not getting our fair share of the oil. Well, okay, I agree that maybe there's some money on the table. But if you make it so 
expensive and so exploitive, they'll just go somewhere else. I mean, they'll go to Sumatra or someplace where even though in someplace like Sumatra or Indonesia or something, they're only getting a 20% cut of the oil. It, they got in so fast and the regulatory and the burdens and the overhead are so low, it don't matter. They're happy to live with a 20-80 split because they're getting it and they're getting it now. You know, they're not waiting years to do it. You know, I think something that that we as Alaskans kind of have lost is we didn't realize how much of a shift uh, oil oil shifted with that fracking boom. Let's continue on. Uh, Rob Myers, our guest, the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Here we go. Now we fight. That's what happens. Now it's round one. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest, <clears throat> state senator from the North Pole area, District Q. Am I right? District Q? Correct. I made it right. See, I'm getting them now. I'm getting them down. Only took a year. Uh, Rob Myers, we're continuing talking about oil, more oil as a fiscal solution or not. Again, the underlying problem is twofold. Uh, just to summate for somebody who may be joining us, Rob, the underlying problem is twofold. First and foremost, it's not a revenue problem. It's a spending problem. And secondly, if we focus on what it seems like most legislators want these days, which is a huge permanent fund so they can just continue to spend money off the permanent fund and not have to worry about any new revenues or any new sources or anything else, it completely disconnects the public and the private economy. So that doesn't matter what's going on. Private economy could be crashing and burning. Doesn't matter. Government's going to do what government does because they've got their own private line of equity coming out of the permanent fund. So the, uh -huh. the question was solutions what are the solutions here in your mind well it, it it goes back to a lot of stuff i said the last time we talked um and it's it's really twofold it's one is growing the non-oil economy and two is creating those linkages back um between government and the private economy as far as growing the the non-oil economy uh, i was reading a, a paper recently by a couple of canadian economists because you know canada's economy especially the western half of the country it looks a lot like ours you know, you've got it's it's natural resource based. It's you know, it's oil, it's timber, it's fishing. It's you know, a lot of the same stuff we have here. And they said, okay, look, if you you take a a, a resource based economy and you want to diversify it, you got you got basically four ways to do that. And they call them linkages. And they said, all right, you can linkage backwards, forwards, down, or out. Backwards means you start producing the things that you need to extract the resource. Well, we do a little bit of that here, but it's not going to be something major so for example we ship pipe into the state and in the state we'll insulate it or we'll cut it up and reshape it but we're not producing the pipe here we're just we're just manipulating it a little bit so that's not going to get you very far you go forward that is taking your natural resource and doing some kind of a value added well in the terms of oil that means refining it and we have a couple of refineries in state but they're basically just in state use because it is so much easier and cheaper to ship crude than it is to ship the refined products. There's a limit what, what we're going to refine in state. Uh, number three is uh, the down linkage. Basically, that means that your oil uh, employees or the, the guys in the corporate tower in Anchorage, um, they're spending their salaries in the local economy. And that happens, of course, but oil is a very capital intensive business. And that means that 
the guys that are are drilling the oil get paid great money by and large, but there's very few of them. And so there's a real limit as to how far their dollars can go when they start spending them uh, in in, in uh, their home economies, you know, Fairbanks, Anchorage, wherever they're living. And so finally, the, the last question is outward, which is what do you do with the profits coming from those uh, from from the, the natural resource in question? What do you do with the profits that comes from oil? Well, you know, some of that goes back to the oil companies and, you know, most of that ends up going out of state. But most of it stays here because it's getting captured by state government. But then we're not having that linkage back of getting that resource money into the hands of average Alaskans so that we can make decisions about how do we find, you know, create other businesses using that money as the seed capital. And the permanent fund has been the, the, the excuse me, the dividend has been the only way that we've had that linkage up to this point in time. And what are we doing instead? Well, we're cutting the dividend. So right. we're cutting our legs out from under us to prevent, you know, we're cutting the one thing that could actually help us get out of this situation of, of our economy de- being dependent on this one commodity. Right. And this is what Hammond talked about specifically back in the day. And I know people scream when they hear this, but when they were eliminating the income tax, his advocacy was not for eliminating it. It was for basically turning it down to zero and leaving it on the books because he 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 warned this exact thing. When you disconnect the people from the cost and scope of government, that's when government spending runs amok. And of course, he's it's proven to be true. Um, and people thought, well, when they touch the dividend then, because that was the third rail of politics, when they touch the dividend, that'll be when it happened. And of course it didn't, they, the, you know, the, the, the people were like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm mad about it and I'm upset, but, um, no, it's okay. Fine. Whatever. It's don't worry about it. Uh, I mean, this is, this is a huge, huge deal. Uh, we've got to find some way to get people connected again with the size and scope of government what what does it take to get it done exactly you know we we can't have the costs of our government hidden you know i mean governor hammond it wasn't an economist by any stretch of the imagination but he understood human nature and and so that's why he wrote you know some of the things he did in diapering the devil and took some of the positions he did while he was in office is he realized that you're screwing with the incentive structure and you're hiding the cost of government i mean we already hid so much of it during the 70s when even when we had uh, a broad-based tax in place, um, but we just said, oh, well, we don't have to increase that because we've got all this other oil money and we can still increase the size of government. And so we get rid of our broad-based tax. Now we're on the other side of it where that other revenue is dropping off. And what do we do? We have to go find another source, but what do we not want to do? We don't want to make a, uh, we don't want to make it so that the average Alaskan has to feel the pain because then we finally get pushback. Until there's pushback uh, of of an economic uh, in, in an economic initiative, economic incentive, then um, there, there's there's no way that we're going to really cut our government in the long run. I hate to do this, but I'm going to bring this question up because Randy in the chat room just said the solution is to cause a large portion of Alaskan citizens to want to encourage their elected representatives to reduce government spending. Do this by expanding an expansion clause into the PFD statute that says the PFD shall be higher than the base level when there's a budget surplus. How does that incentivize anybody? What is the incentive right now 
to reduce the size and scope of government, to have a surplus. I mean, we are constitutionally mandated to have $10 billion in the CBR, and there's like a billion dollars in there. That's it. We spent nine, well, we spent more than that, but we spent down $9 billion from what we're supposed to have in there. And what's the incentive? I mean, now they're talking about, well, let's just amend the Constitution to not have $10 billion in there. Uh, that, there is no incentive. There is no incentive to cut the size and scope of government. See what Randy's what, what Randy is forgetting is that there are so many people that we you know we were talking about earlier that make their living off of government. So effectively, what you're doing is you're saying, all right, your average Alaskan that really cares about the PFD, which you know, going back to what Brad likes to talk about, is guys you know on the lower half, lower two thirds of the income scale. You have you're you're pitting them against the guys that make their living off of government and employ a bunch of lobbyists to send down here and come talk to guys like me um, and uh, to to say, all right, how do we divvy this money out? Do we divvy it out through the through the dividend or do we divvy it out by uh, putting it back into this business uh, from this guy that, that sent a lobbyist down here? You tell me which way that's going to go. Right. No, absolutely. What is it going to take? Uh, sidebar for just a quick second. We don't have a lot of time here, but how long have you been down there, Rob? Two years, three years? Uh, two years now, yeah. Two years. Just over. So just out of curiosity, in two years, how many times have you seen an average Alaskan, Joe Alaskan, not connected to an NGO, to a lobbying group, to a parent-teacher association, anything else, just Joe Alaskan, how many times have you seen somebody come through your door to talk to you about a bill, spending or otherwise? Twice. Twice in two years. So one time. And yet I bet your schedule is usually filled up for three or four times a day with people wanting to come visit you, right? Well, you know, it was now that I'm in this super minority, I got a lot more time available. Yeah, but, that's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. I can see that. Uh, all right. Uh, we're down to the last uh, two and a half, three minutes here. Uh, Rob, we're going to have to do something. What's your what's the reaction of your colleagues when you point out this disconnect? Because, again, you're the only one that I think has ever made this connection here in the state anyway that I've heard of about by, you know, sucking on the on the permanent fund and just getting on that and and focusing on that and and focusing on the draw, this free money from the draw. Um, I you know, what is your colleagues reaction when you point this out to them and the problems that it will instigate in the future? Well, you know, I'm just starting to point it out because I, I, I first started um, doing a lot of this stuff during the campaign last year. Um, and, and so, uh, I haven't really specifically been talking to a lot of legislators about it. Um, you know, I've talked to, well, for example, the folks in my super minority, you know, with, with Mike Shower and Shelly Hughes, and, you know, they largely agree with me that this is a problem. Um, you know, I, I had an interesting conversation with a colleague over the weekend, we were talking about spending cap and I, um, laid out to him some of the same problems that, that I was laying out to you about how, you know, eventually we're just going to get around the spending cap or we're going to repeal it. And he's like, well, yeah, but. By that point, I won't be here. I'm like, um, that's a problem. <laughs> if that's the attitude, I'm just going to span, 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 and then I'm leaving. And you get to hold the bag. This is musical chairs, but I'm leaving the room, sweetheart. They'll see you. Uh, if that's the attitude, I could see how this is. A, I mean, and I've heard that in the past before. I remember 20 years ago talking with somebody who was like, yeah, but he's retiring tomorrow and he's moving, you know, this year and he's moving out of state. So he doesn't care. Oh, that's a problem. I mean, you're supposed to be fighting for Alaskans. And when you're like, I don't care, I'm going to make a mess and leave. 
and, and you know, and, and, and pad all the pockets of all my buddies before I leave, that's, that's a problem. Diversity of revenue, <clears throat> we've got to really focus on that. But at the same time, it doesn't fix the main problem, which is spending. Um, 60 seconds. What's your solution, Rob? How do we, how do we fix that? Ultimately, it, what it's going to come down to is growing our non-oil private economy and giving the average Alaskan a reason to, and especially the guys in the upper end of the income scale, a reason to call Juno and tell us to stop spending. If that doesn't happen, we're sunk. <laughs> I don't know how to fix that, Rob. I'm just, you're not filling me with confidence. I mean, that's the thing. Rob Myers is our guest. Uh, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board and sharing with us. Uh, maybe next week, since you ain't got nothing else to do, maybe we'll have you back on next week to talk about the next thing. I mean, that's the thing. We're just going to have all the super minority on every week because you guys are twiddling your thumbs in your tiny little offices there. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. Always happy to be here, Michael. All right. We'll see you hold, later. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show tomorrow. Tuesday, top three. We will see you then. Be kind. Love one another. You are absolutely filling me with confidence, Rob, that we're going to... Oh, I know. I know. But hey, the first step to fixing the problem is admitting you have one, right? That's what they say at AA. But that's the problem. These people don't admit that. They don't even think it's a problem. That's the thing. And so that yeah, exactly. Well, that leads yeah, to your a, your AA analogy is the only time they could admit there's a problem is when they hit rock bottom. So do we need right. to do we need to bankrupt the state so that they could figure out that there's a problem? I mean, I I just don't know. You know, and and looking at things up close, the, this last two years that I've been here, uh, I mean, it's it's gone through my head the last six months that you know just about the worst thing that could have happened to us was was uh you know the war in ukraine and and all the other things that have caused oil to shoot back up because um you know we in my mind i think we were really dang close to actually getting a solution near the end of 21 starting into 22 and then the money rolled in and we lost all interest in actually fixing the problem right. we have money again we're saved and yeah here we go down the same path again yeah, no, I mean, I think it was a quote from the floor. Natasha Van Imhoff at one point said, we've got so much money, we don't know what to do with it. Well, fast forward 12 months, and now you're like, wait, where did it, is it, where did it go? It was here a minute ago. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's this, this, this short-sighted, this short-sightedness that we're seeing. There is no long-term thinking. There is no if this, uh -huh. then when. I mean, there is no unintended consequence analysis to say, if we do this, what's going to happen with it? It's uh, and again, we could diversify the revenue till the cows come home and have 15 legs on the stool and do everything else. It doesn't matter if it's bringing in more money. They're like, ah, let me spend that. Oh, yeah, we'll make it just. Uh -huh. I mean, that's the thing. It is. It is the Parkinson's principles for money in government. It's it's expanding to just suck everything up. Right. I mean, the last I looked, uh, our state government is approximately 20 percent of our local economy as opposed to. You know, most of the rest of the states where you're looking at somewhere between seven and 10 percent, um, you know, when when your state's uh, when your state government is 20 percent of your state's economy, you've got serious issues. And we're not even counting what the federal side is doing there. Um, right. And it's you know, and, and if if all we're doing is setting ourselves up on a path where the private economy is going to shrink and the government economy is going to grow, there's no good that's going to come of that. Oh, rimming with confidence. Brimming, making me feel good. 
Uh, all right. Well, Rob Myers, thank you so much for coming on board today, my friend. I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, maybe next week we'll do, I mean, I, I'm tempted to do Myers Montalbano Monday. I mean, it's like Sarah Montalbano beats the hell out of us over school and education. And then Myers comes in and fills us with confidence about how well it's going in state government. That sounds like a Monday that I can get behind. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll, we'll, well, you might have to get Sarah next week. I think I'm, I'm busy next week, but we might be able to do the week after that. Yeah, that's fine. Maybe we'll have you on every other week or something. And then I can have Myers and Montalbano Monday. It'll be alternating or whatever. It'll be fun stuff. <laughs> I, I'm just looking for something that's literative, man. Come on. I'm just looking for that alliteration. You know, that's, that's, it brings, it's the only thing that brings joy to my life these days is a little bit of that. Uh, all right. Well, Rob Myers, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for coming on board. You bet. You bet. All Always right. good to talk to you, Michael. We'll catch Th you later. Thanks so much uh, for coming out and uh, joining us today. All right, folks, uh, getting ready to uh, pull the plug. I will give you a teaser of something because I had such a good time this week. Uh, finally got some uh, finally got some good stuff here. Um, <laughs> finally got some I got some new liners coming. I got some new liners coming and I am super excited about it. I thought I'd just play a couple of them for you just because they're fun before we let you go today. These aren't produced or anything, but they're just the dry voice. But there's some fun stuff in here. Tune in Friday for our weekend entertainment and movie streaming review with our guest critic, Willie Waffle. Uh, that's actually his real name. Really? That's his real name? Man, his parents must have hated him. <laughs> Public anima number one. Whoa. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy, public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. <laughs> oh, you, I can't wait for you. I can't wait for you guys to hear all these. These are going to be so much fun. The Michael Duke show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm out. I just, I just, I just wanted to play those for you because I was just there's so, so much, so much fun. All right, uh, we got to get out of here. Don't forget to join us in the Common Sense Core if you are uh, want to help support the show. We'd love for you to be a part of it. There, feel free to jump in and do that, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Oh, you didn't hear them? Well, good. Good. That's fine. Doesn't bug me at all. We'll play them tomorrow. I'll put them on a hot bar. We'll play them tomorrow. Sorry about that. I could hear them. They were great. Just imagine how good they were. Just imagine how good they were. And laugh along with me. Just <laughs> Oh, God. All right. I got to go. Thanks, my friends. We will see you tomorrow. They're silent. That's the best part about them. I'm laughing at the silence. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you later.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.